other things as well is that I've I've been threatened with dismissal from one job because uh, I wasn't on the same level as my other colleagues who were not neurodivergent and had been doing the same job as me for more than a year. Uh, I was then fired from another job for that very same reason. You're a different job because I wasn't the same level after a few months than uh, compared to my colleagues who've been doing the job for a year and actually designed a lot of the processes themselves, which I was struggling to get my head around, really. I had recruiters say to me that I should remove mentions of disability and autism from my CV because employers will see it as a reason not to employ me. Uh, and I've had another recruiter working at um, one workplace that I applied to say that they weren't going to grant me the reasonable adjustments that I asked for, uh, despite my saying, this is why I need them. And if you do this, I can show my best. Their reason was it would put me at an unfair advantage compared to other candidates. Well, I hope employers who are listening to this will be embarrassed to hear some of these comments. In society and especially in work and recruiting environments, the amount of discrimination that is still taking place towards people who don't completely fit the mould is quite frankly astounding. People like Philip, who are totally upfront about his abilities and how employers can cater for him, is to be applauded, not rejected. We obviously have a very long way to go, but it's not all bad news. Have a listen and find out that despite the setbacks that Phil experienced, he has managed to carve out a very good niche for himself. Enjoy. Staying Alive UK. Share your story. Hi, Phil. How are you today? Hi, Michael. Doing great, thank you. How are you? Really well, thank you. I'm delighted. You're my first guest of 2023, so thank you. <laughs> Ray, lovely. And happy new year, by the way. Happy new 2023. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Looking forward to what this year might bring, as always. And um, yeah, we, we connected via some Discord server, uh, we're connected on LinkedIn, and that's how this interview came about. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your story, definitely. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, so I, I feel like a, I feel like it's quite colourful as well. So uh, yeah, this um, um, this should be good. I'm uh, looking forward to this as well. Oh well, that's even better <laughs> when you say that. <laughs> um, now uh, I always start with a very simple question, which is very open ended, Phil. I'm sorry about it, uh, and that is. So, Phil, please share your story and how you got to where you are today. Sure, sure thing. I mean, I feel like there is a lot to tell because I feel like I've done so much uh, to get to this point, uh, whether it's work, life, school, um, everything in between. Um, so, yeah, when I say colourful, this um, this should hopefully paint a really, really nice picture. So so here goes. Brilliant. Uh, so, the po so the point that I'm at right now is that uh, I'm an experienced paralegal. I'm an aspiring lawyer with about a year or so's training to go before I qualify. I'm a regular writer and contributor for my own network and for a well-known legal content and resource platform. And I'm a reasonably new uh, workplace inclusion consultant, and I do work for and with a company that works with its clients 
to make their workplaces and processes a lot more accessible and inclusive. And I'm also at the baby stages of uh, creating my own business and my own services. Um, so, yeah, looking through the uh, the past guests that have appeared on this podcast, so all, all these really brilliant people, uh, I do feel like uh, a bit of a baby myself, really. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, for, for me, that's just motivation to keep doing what, what I'm doing and uh, to keep going to create something brilliant. So, yeah, this is wonderful motivation for me. Uh, but certainly, to get to this point, um, it did require me to take. The scenic route, if you will. Um, So, I mean, I'll say right at the start because you know this is my identity and it is who I am. uh, That uh, I am autistic and uh, probably ADHD as well, judging by presentations that I've been noticing and I've been learning a bit more about from some colleagues. So, my experiences through school, university, work, and everything have all been through that unique lens, which I find to be. Equal parts difficult, but yeah. equal parts beautiful at the same time. So in terms of schools, like if we if we go back to the beginning, I didn't really spend a huge amount of time at schools in my local area. Uh, my primary school was a reasonably small, single-sex, 25-pupil school based in Litchfield, uh, which was a county away from, uh, from my home in a black country, so it was a bit of a jaunt. Yeah. And it, it was around that point when I was about six, seven, eight, so quite young, that an assessment into me was carried out by an educational psychologist and a diagnosis of autism came back shortly after. And this was after a staff at my nursery school before my primary school described me to my parents as, and I'm quoting here, highly intelligent but difficult to handle. Uh, but yeah, I, I can joke about because there is a bit of truth in that, I'm not going to lie. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I was a good student throughout, really. Um, you know, I was laser focused on what I was there to do, which was learn, do the things that were set for me. Uh, I think looking back on things now, my parents did try their best to work with the staff at that school to try and prepare me for later life. Yeah. And I do remember at that time, that's how they got me involved with uh, some other programs that were going on, uh, including Cub Scouts as well, uh, at around eight or nine or so. Yeah. Which... For me, being so young, that was a bit of a challenge because I was so used to like coming straight home from school every day uh, mm. on a Monday night. So staying later in the evening was, you know, it felt alien to me, really. It was a shake-up to my routine and not something that I was particularly used to at the time. And, you know, I found out that it's not really that uncommon for autistic children, which you know, I was at the time, to be lost and confused when you know, their routine or their reference points are changed, you know, suddenly like that. And then for the last six months or so of primary school, I was uh, spending time at a much larger mainstream primary school that was more local to me. Um, it had around 480 pupils there, and it was um, th- there were boys and girls there. So a big shake-up uh, to yes. what I was used to for, for all those years. I think it was there to try and prepare me for a mainstream secondary school, um, which was why it was so short. Uh, but it didn't really work. So, oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) And then secondary school for me was a residential boarding school that was based in Tewkesbury in Gloucestershire. And because it was so far away, uh, I would stay overnight. I'd stay from Sunday night until Friday afternoon and be home for the weekends. So certainly from the early stages, um, I was having to deal with, you know, not only that shake-up again, but 
you know, the homesickness that comes from, yes. you know, being so far away from home, away from parents, away from what I know, really. And yeah, I wasn't the most comfortable when I was when I was 11 or 12 years old, if I'm being honest. In terms of my academics, I think they were pretty standard, really. I sat GCSEs in 2006. I got myself a round of Bs and Cs. And I sat ASNA levels in 2008. And they were kind of disappointing. I'm not going to lie. They were, you know, Ds mostly. Uh, but it was enough to get me into undergrad university to start my law degree. Um, so I was happy with that, really. You know, I, I took that and ran with it. But when and when did you when did you sort of interject then? When did you discover that you wanted to go get involved with law? How did that come? It was about? around. Yeah, it was around 14 years old, I believe. Uh, it was at the time when I was having to pick GCSEs and a time when we were encouraged to think about what we wanted to do with our later lives. Um, I was, you know, I, I guess I was going through the motions a little bit at the time. I was thinking about what I wanted to do. I was taking advice from tutors, parents. Um, at my dad, my, uh, at the time, sorry, my dad was a university tutor. So he floated the idea that uh, I could become a key, I could become a teacher. Yes. Um, and you know, all the other people had their own ideas of what they wanted to do as well, um, whether that was go to university or maybe do apprenticeships or get straight into work, things like that. Yes. But I knew I wanted to use the skills that I had uh, in order to you know, help as many people as I could, really. You know, I knew at the time I was, you know, I was a helpful soul and I wanted to do good by as many people as I could. Yeah. And I was really curious about... Um, a lot of, well, on local news, when I was finishing school and coming back to dormitories and like the social areas, uh, the news would be on. And I'd be really curious about how a lot of the uh, criminal law uh, matters going through uh, local Crown and Magistrates courts were reached because really all we got at that time was, you know, XYZ was found guilty of such and such. And I got really curious about how that decision was reached. So yes. I wanted I wanted to learn more about that. And, you know, I wanted to like, really tap into that curiosity that I had. Right. So fueled, fueled by that interest, and I'm not going to lie, after a couple of uh, crime dramas that I was enjoying as well, yes. uh, I thought I thought, uh, I thought that law was a really interesting pathway for me, and so I picked my GCSEs and A-levels uh, accordingly to give myself the best possible head start for when I started undergrad university at 18 years old. Right. So even even at a young age, I felt like I was pretty clear about what I wanted to do. And I guess I was almost like laser focused and single minded on that, um, whether that was you know for my benefit or my detriment. Um, I think it's there's been a bit of both uh, in that regard. Well, I think it is quite young to make up your mind about the direction you want to go into. I think it's a gift really for you to be able to know that at that age. I certainly didn't have a clue even even today I don't even know <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, where did it, what direction did I want to go into um you know you refer to baby steps I think we're all still in baby steps to be honest uh in terms of building our businesses or not <laughs> whatever the case might be but I yeah I think it's fascinating that you knew at such an early age the direction you wanted to go into which I think is you know, it's it's a real plus, definitely. Okay, carry on. Yeah, no, I, I was really happy with that myself. And, you know, I felt like I had that sort of guiding rod, uh, that lightning rod, if you will, uh, yeah. as to where to focus focus my efforts and focus my work, really. Got 
Got it. Um, and yeah, during my secondary school as well, I was getting involved with so much as well. Um, like it, so many things were on offer that we could take part in. Uh, there was Duke of Edinburgh's awards that I was getting involved in. Um, yeah. I even had even had a chance to meet the Duke himself at St James's Palace at an award ceremony, which was you know really lovely. Yeah. We had sports leader awards that were going on. I took part in that. I was coaching the under 14s badminton team as well. So that that was really good to get involved in. I was a regular face for a lot of music events like uh, school carol services. I was playing in the school brass and woodman band. I took my clarinet with me. And then the more fun stuff like arts festivals and music festivals, I took my bass guitar with me. And yeah, I was a regular face in that for well, the entire time I was there for seven years. Uh, and yeah, I was I was also a pool lifeguard, and I was a school monitor and a prefect. Uh, so yeah, there was. <laughs> I felt like I was you know really splitting myself into like multiple persons at the same time, which was equal parts great, but equal parts tiring as yeah, well. Yeah, I can imagine. But you just had an interest to keep busy, I guess. My even back then, I knew that my brain just wanted to keep busy. It wanted to keep doing things and just keep keep going keep discovering and just keep trying new things really yeah. um I, I guess i figured at like 16 17 18 years old if i tried a lot a lot of things and then not be too much setback i suppose like i had that safety net of school with me like i was able to make mistakes i was able to find things that i liked and i like, find myself that gave me like that bit more encouragement to try all these new things really yeah and and do you think do you think that or do you know from all the research that you've done, is that pretty typical from somebody who's been labelled with autism? Uh, it, it's difficult to say because, you know, my, my experiences and my perspective and my life is my own, really, same as um, every um, every individual autistic person, mm. uh, really. Um, so it, I, I guess it's difficult to say, really, but... Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there were others like me who who had that really busy brain and had mm. lots of stuff going on that they wanted to sort of try and that they wanted to use to try and satiate themselves, like satiate their interests. Yes. That they wanted to do so many things. They wanted to like di dip their toes in so many things, really. Mm. Mm. So it, it, it wouldn't surprise me, to be honest. No. And were you ever advised to not do so much? Saying, oh, you know, calm down, you know. Just, just pick a lane. Just to do one thing at a time. I was, I was on occasion. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, um, like even coming to the end of uh, sick form uh, when I was eighteen, and I think it was about March or April time when it was like peak A level uh, revision time and exam time. I was, you know, I, I was encouraged by staff just to say, "Phil, slow down. Put these on the back burner. You've got other things to worry about." Yeah. Which was fair enough, really. You know, I, I. My priorities, I had to make clear at the time. And, you know, for the last few months of sick form, that was A-level exams, A-level coursework. So, yeah, yeah, a few things did have to take the back burner. Um, but even so, I'm glad that I got involved in them and I'm glad that I gave things a try. Brilliant. It sounds fantastic. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that why not? go full out and try as many different things as you can. You know, if you've got the brain capacity and it's about enjoying yourself, right? It's about why don't have a go at it and see how good you could be at it 
And if you are not good enough, if you don't think you're good enough, then stop it. Do something else. <laughs> Just keep going. Yeah, I love that, it. That's it, isn't it? You know, we, we lose nothing by trying. We lose nothing by, by giving it a go. And, you know, we never know. We might like it. We might enjoy it. We might be good at it. Um, so yeah, but yeah, we never know until we try. And yeah, I was glad to have that safety net uh, when I was at school just to like, just to try everything. Yeah, really. Brilliant. So yeah, really, really happy with that. Okay, keep hey, going, Phil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so after after secondary school, I got myself into university. Uh, my undergrad university was Nottingham Trent. Uh, so again, I was staying away from home uh, in what was at the time a foreign city to me. Uh, yes. So, but I get. I guess I felt a bit more prepared that way because I'd spent seven years living away from home. So it wasn't as much of a shock to me as it might have been for, say, other you know, fresh students coming straight out of like mainstream schools. And this is the first time they've lived away from home. Yes. So I guess I guess on one hand, I did kind of feel like, you know, a bit of a big brother, really, you know, just trying to you know be encouraging, be sympathetic of the fact that, you know, this, this is the first time away from home. So it's going to be I don't know what's going on. It's going to be like that. <laughs> yes. really. You're like, I've been there, got the T-shirt, and, you know, <laughs> I know what's going on. <laughs> so so much of it just like, eh, it's fine, it's cool, don't worry, you're safe. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, trying to convince an 18-year-old of that is um, yeah, not, not the easiest thing in the world, No, uh, let's just say. No, definitely not. Yeah, uh, so the degree I studied there was new for my uni at the time so i was a bit of a guinea pig for it right. but it doesn't look like they're doing it anymore uh so my degree was uh, a four-year course it was law with spanish and it was split roughly two parts law to one part spanish and the third year was a sandwich year and i spent that studying in spain i was studying the first year of the law degree at the university of salamanca so that was you know a law degree with its own lexicon and vocabulary in wow. what was to me a foreign language that yeah. i mean was that hard <laughs> put it this way i had my heart in my mouth a lot of the times there um because you know just trying to get my brain to think in spanish after what was like 20 years of only thinking in english yes uh difficult so yeah there was a lot of uh gulp moments whilst i, I was there i can imagine that must be the toughest thing because Law in its own right is pretty tough. <laughs> so combine that with a foreign language and I don't know what that must have been like. I mean, I'm originally from the Netherlands and when we came to England in 1977, we were told that we needed to continue going. I was 17 and we needed to go to school. And um, I went, no way. How can I study in English? I, you know... I could speak English because all Dutch people do, uh, you know, I could read English, I could write it. And I said, no, I need I need to find a job where I could use my Dutch language as well as develop my English language skills. I had no confidence to study in a foreign language. So hat off to you for doing that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but certainly a year of that was uh, more than enough for me. Really, yes. um, it got to a point towards the end of that year where I, I just had enough. Really, I was, I was tired, I was exhausted, and I was just ready to come home and finish my degree off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
But the one thing I, I did notice was it was a huge change going from guided study at school to more self-guided study. And there were plenty of things that I didn't get right at the time. I'm, I'll freely admit that now. Some of those were because I just didn't understand how my brain worked at the time. So it felt like I was working against it rather than with it. And I guess I didn't know how to ask for assistance at the time because I thought we were just expected to be fully getting on with things and not really approach tutors if we were struggling, which yeah. looking back on things now, big mistake, mm. biggest mistake I made there. Um, and in terms of like the social side of things as well, um, I was active in a couple of societies while I was there. I was, I was in a music society where I uh, get together with other musicians. We'd, we play, we put on, put on some small shows at the university, like in a student's union. And we play for some other venues in Nottingham city center, like a couple of bars um, every now and again. Yeah. Uh, and I go to a couple of events with the law society uh, when I had the chance to, but after like full days of legal work, most days of the week and weekends, I realized that I, I just needed a break yeah. and I just needed that time to refresh really and just decompress. So mm. Yeah, those kinds of events were few and far between. Um, I wish I'd gotten involved in more, but hey-ho, um, such is life. Mm. Uh, and so I left my undergrad university with a 2-2 result. Uh, kind of underwhelming when I look at it in isolation, but yeah. didn't have the best time uh, navigating the best way for me to learn and study due to, again, not really understanding my brain, yes. not really understanding my challenges, some personal issues that were going on at the time that were impacting my ability to learn and study. And quite frankly, my priority for that particular period was just to simply stay as well as I could. And I guess just stay alive, really, because um, it got kind of, it got kind of low, really, mm. uh, to the point mm. where you know, there was an intervention by university counsellors, um, because I was, yeah, I, I was really, really struggling at that time. Yeah, so I'm glad they, inter glad they intervened. And I'm glad that, you know, well, it worked well enough so that I'm here today. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I, I really can't fault them for that. I can't fault the student services there. Good. But uh, postgrad university, thankfully, was so much different and so much better. Um, I, I started studying postgrad uh, university at De Montfort. Uh, it was, uh, it was a postgrad legal practice diploma. It was, yeah, in 2017, five years later, and me and my classmates at the time were all so much more grown up. We were all so much more mature, sensible. Mm. We had our priorities in order, not just around studying, but around everything else in our lives as well, like family, work, uh, everything, really. So yeah. it made it so much more of a pleasure to work with everyone, knowing that you know we're all so supportive of each other. We all wanted each other to succeed, and we all knew exactly how much work we were putting in to our futures, really. I mean, yes. I mean, would that have been the case for me had I gone straight into postgrad after my undergrad? Possibly not, because I think at 22, I was still not quite mature enough and not quite wise enough to go straight into postgrad. Um, mm. I really think I would have struggled and I was burning out at the time. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. So, but I guess we'll never know, really, or I'll never know. But I'm glad that I waited until 2017 to start and so that I could have that real world knowledge and wisdom that I could bring with me to, to my, my uni work that could help me better understand what I was learning. So mm. yeah, in terms of decisions I can make, I think that was the best one I made for myself at the time. And and how old were you out of interest when you started that post-grad course? 
uh, when I started my postgrad legal, legal diploma, I was 27. Yeah. So you know more about the brain than I do. But one thing I do know and I did learn, whether it's true or not, I don't know. Um, but our brain up until the age of 25 is in major development, isn't it? It hasn't all formed itself yet. They say or suggest that around the age of 25, could be 24, could be 26, I don't know, then our brain is pretty much done its stuff in terms of its development. And it means that our executive brain, the part, the frontal lobe, where we make decisions about ourselves and others and our life, we are better informed to make better decisions in, at those times. So it's really, really interesting how you said, I'm glad I waited until that time because I have, I have more awareness about, you know, the world, the life and everything else around it. And I had a better time than studying as well. So it's, it's fascinating. So there must be some truth in that um, where you felt better prepared around that age. I would imagine so. I mean, not being a you know neuroscientist or psychologist myself, um, mm -hmm. and only really having my own experiences to go on, I can say that 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 brings about true for me. Really, you know, like up to the age of twenty five, yes, I was still developing myself, my my processes, and my identity, if yes. you will. Yes. Um. So, yeah, I I didn't have much capacity to take on a huge amount more, other than you know. University study up until twenty two, and then my first job at twenty four. Mm. Um, yeah, even even trying to do some part part time study alongside my first job was you know was a struggle really, and I didn't do very well at that, and sadly failed that short course that I did. So that sounds about right. That you know after twenty four, twenty five or so, <clears throat> we're a lot more. You know, our brains are a lot more developed and yes. we're a lot more aware of, you know, what works for us, what doesn't work for us and that we can put those processes in place. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I'd say that sounds about right. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Fascinating. And so what happened next then after you did that course? Well, it was in 2014 that I found my first paid job. Um, and the first step on the ladder to get into where I am today. Yeah. So this would have been about 18 months or so after graduating undergrad, uh, but not quite at postgrad yet. Yes. My, yeah. So uh, in terms of, yeah, in terms of work history over the last nearly nine years or so, it feels like I've done so many jobs, really, you know, so many jobs, so many different workplaces and different industries as well. Yeah. I mean, as a bit of a, as a bit of a like, colourful summary, I suppose, uh, they've included you know, the call centre of a national charity, uh, a training course provider for um, wills, trust, estate and succession planning lawyers and practitioners, mm -hmm. uh, along with like tax advisors, accountants and people working in um, those, those professions. I spent some time in local government um, preparing settlement agreements uh, I spent some time in a telecoms operator uh, preparing more agreements to leave uh, equipment on site so the end users could get a service. I had a couple of um, stints in private practice uh, law firms, so firms of solicitors, 
one in Birmingham and another remotely in uh, in the southeast. I was doing a range of uh, work there, a range of different practice areas and different tasks, really. So they, they were really, really good uh, training opportunities. Uh, yeah, COVID hit in 2020. Uh, so I was made redundant at that point, which sucked, but mm. there wasn't any, anything that I could do about it. No. Uh, and then most recently, I did some work for about six months or so for an environmental nonprofit where I was assisting with uh, some research tasks for senior lawyers. And I was using my contact contract preparation skills to prepare engagement agreements for like external partners, external councils to like be onboarded and do some work for the company I was, I was with at the time. Yeah. And yeah. Um, <laughs> and because I don't like to make things easy for myself uh, <laughs> since early 2022, <laughs> this, uh, yeah, this is going to be a recurring theme. I think uh, not making things easy for myself. <laughs> uh, yeah. In early 2022, I uh, took on another couple of jobs uh, whilst I had a bit of time to myself. Uh, so I became a regular writer for the legal content and resource platform, lawcareers.net. And I've assisted with some workplace assessments for uh, a company called Priest Puddle. They work in the autism and neurodivergence inclusion sphere, staffed by neurodivergence, and they work with associates like me who ourselves are neurodivergent. So, yeah, I've had opportunities to use skills that I've developed over the last couple of years that were originally for fun and enjoyment, yes. along with my own personal experiences to yeah, continue my goal to help as many people as I can, like aspiring lawyers looking for some insight as to life as a paralegal or life in a lot of different workplaces, or to help you know larger companies and larger bodies better include and welcome neurodivergent staff and clients by mm. working with them as to how they can adjust workplaces, uh, processes, applications, everything like that, really. It's, it was super, super fulfilling to me to be able to get involved in that. And I'm still with, still doing work for those two companies to this day. And I'm, I'm loving it, really. I'm really, really enjoying myself. Oh, that's brilliant. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. And so just to, so with with that whole journey of doing all of these other jobs and then the redundancy and everything, how did you pick yourself up after that? You know, the the redundancy thing and the COVID thing and then how you got going again when things started to open up and now you've got these jobs that you, you're doing. Uh, presumably they're all kind of part-time-ish, are they? Yeah. They are. They are, yeah, part-time, remote, flexible, flexible work, yeah. Brilliant. So that really suits you, I would imagine, as well. Yeah, it it does. Yeah, um, it was <laughs> it was quite interesting when um, when twenty twenty happened. Really, um, I remember at the time as soon as we as soon as we heard, you know, you must stay at home for the first time. Yes. Uh, and after I got the call to say, Phil, we're terminating your contract. It's a redundancy. I guess at the time, I was quite glad that it happened, really. It was a bit of a blessing in disguise because at the mm. time, I was exhausted, really. I was tired. I felt, felt like I was burning out as well. And I yeah. felt like I was doing so much work uh, to try and you know progress myself and try and get myself to the place where I wanted to be Yeah, that I neglected myself for a lot of the times, really. You know, I didn't get enough rest. 
I didn't really eat as, as, as well as I could have done, really. I didn't really sleep as well as I could have done, really. Mm. Whether mm. that's just because I had so much going on or my brain just wouldn't shut up yes. or just or, 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 or whether it was anything else, really. So as twisted as it sounds, I think what I needed was a good lockdown really just like a bit yes. of a a bit of a pause really a just to yeah just a step back take stock of myself um think about what's important to me and just spend some time working on that really just working to try and recharge my battery mm. if you will ready for ready for my next opportunity uh but there, there was plenty i was getting involved in in 2020 anyway there were so many online courses online programs that i could get involved in yes where i could just keep the skills going keep my brain in like like ticking over in work mode mm. and just keep my learning going as well yeah. so i'm really i'm really happy that those that those popped up really um but it's just a shame that it took you know a global viral pandemic for things like that to come to the forefront of you know of all of our minds and think yeah this is a viable thing that we could do mm. when you know realistically these kinds of things could have helped so many people who were maybe struggling to access opportunities pre-2020 and just not having that knowledge not having that awareness that they were there feels like it hindered us really and it feels like you know it hindered certainly for me my my learning my progression and just my ability to look elsewhere try a few new things and see what stuck really yeah yeah and did any of it stick it did um, happily. Um, it was in 2021 after, uh, like after lockdown one, where I was back in work and I was doing some corporate and commercial work. Um, a lot of it was involving business acquisitions, management buyouts, uh, mergers and acquisitions, that kind of work. Yes. And I remember doing online courses and programs specifically in that subject area. So I felt like I was coming into it, you know, more prepared than I would have been had I just left one job and then went straight into another and was completely completely green if yes. you will yes brilliant well done so that was a a whole journey that you hadn't designed for yourself but it was a welcome diversion on that journey to get you to a place where you were then prepared for the next job <laughs> so brilliant yeah it's um there are a lot of blessings in disguise that uh, all of us uh, have as we go through life really that you know we didn't realize that we needed but actually when it happens we think yeah kind of needed this so definitely 2020 was a real benefit for me um as you know as, as twisted as it sounds because uh, it just gave me the chance to reset and i suppose refocus really and yeah recharge my battery ready for my next opportunity hello it's michael here i hope you're enjoying the podcast so far more to come and I just wanted to quickly let you know about my other work, in case you didn't already know. I am involved with producing whiteboard animations for organizations so they can share better stories about their products or services. I also help business professionals get better at storytelling. I do this via in-person or online workshops. Just visit my website where you can find out a lot more. Just go to stayinglifeuk.com or you can contact me via the contact form on the homepage. Just fill in the details and an email will land in my inbox. And now, 
let's get back to the podcast. We we have a word for that at home here. Um, when these things come your way, and even though they may be stressful or upsetting or not great, um, we call them gifts. And they may not be a gift right in the moment, but you know the other saying is this too will pass. And once you get past it, <laughs> then you can look back on it and go, actually, it was a gift, you know. <laughs> it was a gift that that happened to me. And because actually, as a result of it, I'm in a better place or I'm in a better direction and it has all worked out for the best. So well done uh, for attracting that into your life. So, so the, the roles that you're involved with right now, and of course, I completely get it that you couldn't just do one role. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, listening to your journey and everything now, I completely get that. But how did you find those roles for yourself? How did they come about? This is quite interesting, actually. Um... In 2020, uh, when we were all in pandemic mode, uh, I I got myself online and I started putting some effort into like creating my brand, if you will, like my my digital extension of myself. Yes. Um, and that came about by my creating written blogs and articles and creating a few videos uh, under the name the Neurodivergent Lawyer. Right. And you know. That, that became a brand and like a sort of identification for myself over those couple of years where I've been able to share authentic experiences of, you know, what it's like to be an autistic aspiring lawyer, as well as, you know, unique perspectives, my unique views on things, like whether it's work or study or life or, or anything. Yeah. And whilst I was getting online, I was also um, really more deeply connecting with other aspiring lawyers. Uh, trainees graduates and some final year students as well and it was a really really wholesome community that formed at that point uh, because mm. we were all in the same boat if you will where you know because of uh because of you know companies closing up the doors um due to well due to the riskiness of you know operating in a pandemic yes um yeah, we were we were all in the same boat, looking for opportunities, and we were all supporting each other, and we were all, you know, encouraging each other on, really. And someone, I can't remember the name of them, and it's gonna—I'm gonna be kicking myself for this. <laughs> Doesn't but, matter. Uh, someone that I spoke to uh, suggested that I take the written blogs and articles that I was writing a bit more, um, a bit more. I, I hesitate to use the word mainstream, really, but, you know, offer them to a much larger platform, if you right. will. And that platform was lawcareers.net. Um, at the time, I thought, really, are they really going to want to hear from me? I'm not <laughs> a typical aspiring lawyer at all. Like, you know, I'm, I, I was 30 at the time. I was quite old to be a trainee and I wasn't following, you know, the standard well-trodden route that mm. every other aspiring lawyer was following. Yeah. Simply because it wasn't accessible for me. So I was creating my own journey if you will i was using another route and just trying to curate it really for myself yes um but yeah looking back on that you know hello imposter syndrome yes um, but yeah they they really encouraged me just to just to give it a go really you mm. know what have i got to lose get in touch with them 
and see if they'd be interested in me writing an article for them on you know, the topic that was really close to my heart, which was uh, neurodiversity in law, neurodivergence um, experiences and, and everything like that. I had to look through some of the written articles that others had written on the platform. I didn't see anything at the time. So I thought, this is new. Maybe they could benefit from it. And Absolutely. I've got those personal experiences. So again, I created another opportunity for myself. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I had that encouragement, really. And uh, if you will, that kind of kick up the backside, really, yes. you know, to get myself going. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah the, so thing, I, the thing is, there's one thing people giving you advice and giving you a, a, a gentle kick up the backside. But there is something else than to take action upon it because you could have dismissed it and gone, you know, imposter syndrome, that's me and I'm not going any further beyond that and don't not believing that people will be interested in me. Of course they won't be interested in me. Why would they be? Um, and so you still had to take action and kind of push through that barrier and contact them. So well done. <laughs> well done to you. It was, it was definitely a case of, you know, why not got nothing to lose. Yes. So it, it kind of, kind of felt like I was tapping into 16 year old me, uh, wanted to try so many different things at school and having that why not mentality. So mm, mm. yeah, but I'm really glad I did actually. Um, I wrote um, since mid 2020 i've written three guest articles for them in and around full-time jobs and then in uh february 2020 i was invited onto the lawcareers.net podcast uh, which was really lovely uh it was published in uh, Mar march 2022 uh and then it was at that point where they offered me a more regular role with them um and yeah they've been really good to me uh with know that support that encouragement and you know just be, being there to answer some questions that i had and maybe just like reassure myself really so yes. i was i was really really quick to say yes really and uh, the fact that it was something that i could do alongside other jobs as well made it all the more appealing really and yeah no i'm i'm really happy that i did that and since then i've i've been invited to award ceremonies that they've been putting on I've been invited to other events that they've been putting on for other aspiring lawyers. And in mid-2022, I was invited to the launch of their own internal uh, neurodiversity network, uh, again, to like, open a network up, share some experiences, why it's so important to me, and what we can all do for folks like me and other autistic aspiring lawyers, neurodivergent other aspiring lawyers. Um, and it, it, it's so so heartwarming and affirming that my experiences and my perspectives mean something to people yes yeah spot on yeah because the world hasn't got enough knowledge about the world of as you say neurodivergent people and there we we do need to be better educated about it and and they do say don't they um i don't like the phrase but it's you know i've heard people say well we are all somewhere on the autistic spectrum anyway mm -hmm. 
you know i i don't like that phrase at all no that's no and 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 that's like a a put down almost um to say oh well there is no difference type of thing people try to say it in a supportive way but it's actually contradictory to that I mean, I get it. They want to be supportive and, you know, they want to be, you know, encouraging. That, that, that's, that's great. But the phrase, we're all somewhere on the autistic spectrum, doesn't sit well with me at all. It doesn't sit no. well with you know, other autistic people I know either. Because to me, that just sounds like, um, like my, my own experiences are being invalidated. My right. own skills are being invalidated. And the challenges that I face in life, in work, in everything are... Uh, they they don't matter really, but yes, but they do because this is this is our lives, this is our identities, and it means something to us. Yeah. And you know, to take away our identities and take away the things that make us us is just it, it, it's incredibly hurtful, really. Yes. And I, I I I can't really stand for it, really. Um, yeah, but but to be honest with you, that's not the worst thing that um has been said to us i mean certainly not to me either right. um yeah you, you know how i said that my uh, my journey so far was uh, quite colorful well um yeah some of the um i can't still i still can't like remove the fact that this route to where i'm at today has been difficult and there has been difficult and quite hurtful experiences that i've had to encounter um around you know a, a lot of times it is around attitudes really and around preconceptions that other people have of autistic people neurodivergent people i mean i mean just to give you an example of a few things that i've yes, encountered please. i mean i've had to deal with you know quite ableist comments about me or to me uh like in work in life things like that mm. some of the worst things i've experienced have been he's special needs he's untouchable um the fact that we have spent a lot of time and effort and money in accommodating you. Uh, my mm -hmm. personal favorite, I have to admit, and I'm going to apologize for the language right now. Uh, I had somebody say to me on the shop floor, like straight to my face with another couple of people in earshot. They said to me, autism means you're a little shit. Mm. So, yeah, that's uh, that wasn't pleasant at all, really. No. Um, yeah, so it, it, it's like attempts to shame me for being born with the brain that I did and for the fact that, you know, in work I do need um, reasonable adjustments in order to help me function and to be at my best and to help me process the information that's there so that I can do the best work I can, yes. really. Yeah. yeah. Other things as well is that I've, I've been threatened with dismissal from one job because uh, I wasn't on the same level as my other colleagues who were not neurodivergent and had been doing the same job as me for more than a year. Yeah. Uh, I was then fired from another job for that very same reason. You're a different job because I wasn't the same level after a few months than uh, compared to my colleagues who've been doing the job for a year and actually designed a lot of the processes themselves, which I was struggling to get my head around mm. really. Mm. I had recruiters say to me that I should remove mentions of disability and autism from my CV because employers will see it as a reason not to employ me. Oh. Uh, and I've had another recruiter working at um, one workplace that I applied to say that they weren't going to grant me the reasonable adjustments that I asked for 
uh, despite my saying, this is why I need them. And if you do this, I can show my best. Their reason was it would put me at an unfair advantage compared to other candidates. Hmm. Yeah. Needless to say, I didn't take that uh, particularly happily. And uh, no. yeah, they're, <laughs> they're not going to get another application from me. That's for sure. And yeah, I, I say this not to glorify a struggle or anything, but just to point out that even in today's world, discrimination and ignorance is still there. And even if it's not overt, it's still quite insidious, really. It's still quite under under the surface. Um, and, you know, these are some of the, these are some of the worst experiences that I've had yes. in uh, in my journey up until this point, really. Um, well, I appreciate you sharing yeah. them. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I got them out of you. And at the same time, I'm sorry that you've had to experience it. Um, do I say it's a gift in some way that you are now able to write about these things and educate people a little bit through the blog posts that you're now writing and, and the advice that you're giving people um, because you've experienced those things, you know they exist and therefore you can talk with authority and experience and help educate people. Do you believe ed there's more education required even, you know, in schools? You know, how do they deal with it in schools? Do they deal with it from the point of view saying, oh, well, we'll just separate those people out from the mainstream. Um, is that how they deal with it today? It shouldn't be, really, I don't think. No, um, no I mean, because by doing that, um, and I, I, I suppose as well, if we were to translate it to like the adult world as well, um, I've seen specific like neurodiversity hiring programs and like all autistic hiring programs as well um to try and attract more and more autistic people into companies that, that are putting them on like big, big tech companies and like really really big like really really big publicly known companies as well um great that they're making an effort in that regard but by doing that it there's a couple of things that i notice really number one is you run the risk of othering us by saying, you know, we're putting on this program specifically for you because you can't go through the standard program that we have. Yes. But then second, as a follow-on to that, why not make the standard hiring program a lot more accessible and a lot more inclusive so that, you know, folks like us, neurodivergent, autistics, um, everyone else, shouldn't feel like they have to go through a separate hiring program. Um, you know, you know, simply because the hiring company doesn't feel like we're worthy or we're capable of going through the standard hiring program. Mm. And it was, it, it's things like that that encouraged me to get involved with Crease Puddle um, and get involved with, you know, the, the neurodivergence inclusion work and you know, a lot more meaningful work, yeah. really. Because um, if I'm able to use my own personal experiences of, that and of everything negative and everything hurtful that's happened and use it as like an educational tool if you will and like an awareness tool uh to try and help like crease puddles clients and in turn others that are you know maybe struggling to hire autistic or neurodivergent people yes then 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 great that would be really really fulfilling for me and i'm really glad i'm getting involved in that 
And in terms of like bringing it back to schools as well, um, I think it's important to realize that autistic children grow up to be autistic adults. You know, we don't all of a sudden turn the autism off as soon as we turn 18. You know, it's, it's a hardwired divergence that's in our brains that, you know, and, and it's, it's the identity that we are throughout life, regardless of when we have that identification really. And so, you know, othering autistic children in school is really setting them up poorly for later life i I find because it's given them the impression that you know they're not capable of being in the same trench if you will as other you know non-autistic or non-neurodivergent people and you know almost almost gives the impression that hiring companies creating specific neurodivergence hiring programs are like doing us a favor quote if you will um well, there's two <laughs> things. There's two things. You're right. It's that we're doing you a favor because we've created a program so you can succeed. Um, and it's also a tick box exercise to say we've done our social inclusion bit, haven't we? It's true, though, isn't it? That's what they do. They it, it, go, it, it is, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. Just... Oh, we can we can put this in our annual report now that we've ticked that box. So now our consumers will want to buy more from us because, I mean, I'm being facetious, apologies. I I have no evidence that this is actually happening. So I'll say for the record, it's just <laughs> a feeling. I've seen companies, I've worked in companies, bigger companies where, you know, things are done just so they can tick a box and it can go in the annual report. Um, so we all know but the it question happens. remains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the question remains though: How is that meaningfully, you know, helping or supporting or including, you know, autistic workers, for instance, you know, applicants who want to work for that particular company because they realise, oh, there's you know, there's support available for autistic staff. That's that sounds good. We're going to apply to that, mm. and then it turns out that it it is a tick box exercise. And the support available is, at worst, conditional. Mm. Really, like, like like conditional upon, say, performance. Conditional upon you know meeting certain expectations, th- things like that. And yeah, that that that's when it starts to get, again, really, really insidious. And again, that's the reason why I, why I'm really getting involved much more heavily with greater, like workplace inclusion and neurodivergence inclusion as well Mm. and that's that's the reason why i feel like i'm in the conception stage of being able to offer my own services going forward around you know that around that particular topic area um you know i've got my own experiences i've got my own perspectives and knowledge on the subject and i've been able to build skills with all the jobs that i've been working in Mm. and i feel confident uh hopefully later this year once i get all the documentation and uh once i get a couple of clients sorted i've already got a couple already potentially Great. um so i just so i just need to you know check back in with people but yeah later later this year i really do hope to be able to offer much more uh full inclusion services from the perspective of you know an autistic aspiring lawyer yeah hopefully specifically for law firms who you know historically you know 
I don't mean this as like any kind of challenge, but I've noticed that some are still a little bit slow uh, to the mark when it comes to disability inclusion and neurodivergence inclusion. Mm. I see 2023 as being, you know, the year for um, for much greater work in this sphere and for much greater input from us, the neurodivergent community, yes. to get involved with you know th- things like this and to have our to have our voices heard, if you will, to have our experiences valued and mm. you know, to have our work valued, knowing full well that, you know, certainly from my perspective, I'm doing something for my community. I'm doing something to make processes a lot smoother for like talented workers, talented lawyers who themselves are autistic or neurodivergent. Yeah. To be able to access you know, the highest possible quality of work and training and be able to, you know, make the kind of life that they want for themselves yeah you know that's unique to them and that works for them not anybody else but for them and being able to work with larger companies and larger law firms to be able to do this and to put that in place to really 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 support and include and welcome you know us talented lawyers that's that to me is going to be super super fulfilling and i i'm really really excited to get started on that later later this year so you you are so passionate about it uh, it really comes through, and I know whatever you're building for yourself is going to be incredibly successful because you have such a belief in it and you're, you've got so much knowledge that you can share with people and the whole kind of education piece of it. So well done, man. That's really, really good. Really good. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much. I, and it's also a case of, like, cause there's there's a quote that I love from a movie that I love, actually, that I think really, really rings true for what I want to achieve later in life. And yeah. that is that everyone fails at who they're supposed to be. But the measure of a person is how well they succeed at being who they are. And it's because of this that I've decided I'm not going to let failures to navigate a qualification route that everyone else has taken, but I know isn't for me. Mm. I'm not going to let failures to be the ideal candidate for someone else or make myself into the most ideal person that someone else who may or may not fully understand me wants me to be and wants to work with. I'm not going to let any of that deter me from achieving what I want to set out to achieve, from accessing the work and the training that I need in order to reach my goal of qualification as a lawyer. I'm not going to let that deter me from working on being the best version of myself and being someone who the right people want to work with because I'm me, because I'm my yes. own person and because I'm the kind of person that, you know, so many others do genuinely want to work with. Yeah. It sounds great. It sounds really great. Very motivational. And it's not <clears throat> what you're doing and what you're sharing with the listeners is not just for neurodivergence. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's for everybody. <coughs> Absolutely. Me. Yeah. Uh, your philosophy is fantastic and and your your you know the fact all the things that you're embracing is really really great and it and it really comes across um in the way that you share your vision and i love it so thank you so much for for doing that and how can people so with the development of your business or any of the other work that you're doing, um, how can people learn more about that, Phil? And how could they get in touch with you if they want to use your services? 
Yeah, uh, LinkedIn is the main social media platform that I use. Um, I'm sure you'll be able to put a link to my profile in uh, in the podcast bio. Yeah, oh yes, uh, definitely. Great, thanks. And from that, you'll be able to uh, find the the company page that I have for uh, my own brand and my own platform uh, called the Neurodivergent Lawyer. And it's on that page that I'm sharing uh my own articles that i'm writing uh the work i'm doing for lawcareers.net and crease puddle and any other work i'm doing in in this sphere that you know that, that means something to me and that i'm very very proud of I'm, I'm 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 always happy to share things like that i'm always happy to uh, get in touch with folks who do want to learn more and who would like to you know who'd like to engage me and use me to try and help themselves be better for themselves or for you know the rest of the neurodivergent community. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to speak to anybody and, you know, I'm happy to connect with anybody. You know, I don't, I don't find it uh, strange that absolutely everybody wants to connect with me. I love, um, I love making those relationships. I love making those connections. So yeah, by all means, if, if anybody listening does want to get in touch, then yeah, I'm here, I'm free, I'm open. So yeah, go for it. Brilliant. <laughs> Sounds good to me. And how long have you got left in terms of the... Because you mentioned you're a paralegal, which I don't completely understand what that means. I know you're obviously involved with law. And then to become a fully-fledged lawyer, how long, how long will that take? For me, because I'm taking a different route to the standard uh, training contract, um, yes. instead I'm working to become a legal executive, so it has its own... It has its own route with um, Silex, the Chartered Institute of Legal Executives. With the work I've done so far, I've got roughly a year until okay. I um, and, until I'm able to uh, fully qualify. So hopefully by the end of 2023 or maybe early 2024, um, that'll be my training done. I'll be a fully fledged lawyer, and yeah, that's that's something I'm really looking forward to. Scary, um, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Look, there's nothing you have to be scared about at all with what you've done. Uh, so that sounds really exciting. Well, um, is there anything else you would have liked to have said that I haven't covered as yet? <laughs> haven't asked you? Uh, I, I do feel like we've covered a lot, really. And uh, yeah, it feels like I've covered so many aspects of my life and my journey. And uh, yeah, no, honestly, Michael, I'm just really thankful that uh, you've offered me this space to you know, share myself, share my story, and I suppose just help me continue to believe in myself and believe that what I'm doing is is good, it's right for me, and that I'm on the right path, really, and that I, and that I do want to continue to do fulfilling work. So, yeah, no, thank you very, very much for offering me your space. It's It's really, really lovely of you. Uh, it's my absolute pleasure and it's been a fantastic first interview for of 2023 uh, and I've really, really enjoyed hearing your story and the journey that you've been on. It's really fascinating and I, I really want to wish you massive success with the ongoing developments. Do keep us posted and uh, make sure that obviously in the bio I can't say that you are a lawyer yet, but when you do... Let me know and I'll change the bio. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly will. Yes, definitely. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Phil. Um, take care and uh, let's keep in touch and all the best for now. Lovely. Thank you again, Michael. Take care. Bye now. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe and share at will. I'm always looking for more listeners and guests, so do get in touch, please. You can find me pretty easily by searching for Staying Alive UK. Thank you. Staying Alive UK. Share your story.